All right, Shabbos, say good morning, good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors for today's share to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Kislev, Josh and Becca Friedman, for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Joshos this month, Le'ili Nishmas, Josh's father, Yisrael Yehuda, Benarav Chaim, Raphael, Zichor and Levracha, to thank Sammy Malka Esterson for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Joshos this month in memory of their parents, Yitzchak, Leib, Benarana Cohen, Sarah, Rachel, Bas, Baruch, Avram, Hinda, Bas, Hanach, Ephraim, and in the Schos of the continued Gizunt and Hatzlacha, Mr. Morton Esterson, to thank the Pepper family for dedicating the Shurim this month, the commemoration of the yard site of Yosef Pepper, Yosef David, Zichron Levracha, Ben Yaakov. To thank our week of learning sponsor, Steve Golaskov, in commemoration of his father's first yard site, and Hashem of Nochum Sender, Ben Mishul Nasan, Amir Hashem Shadav, and Aliyah, and the family in Nechama. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Ayala and Sarah Steinberg, in the Schuss of Rafush Lima, for the continued health of Shulamis Bas Susha. Our Dafyomi sponsors today, Jerry and Abby Applebaum, creation of the yard site of Abby's aunt, Chana Bas Avram. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, then Hashem will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. And we'll see with that. Let us begin. We have a really, really fascinating Daf ahead of us. Another fascinating Daf ahead of us today. So, we'll say, so today's Daf is Nun Aleph, 51. We are picking up in Merit Hashem. We are picking up on Nun Amid Beis, 50B. All right, we have a lot to do today. So we left off, embarrassed, we have to count down from the top, not even up from the bottom. So we left off two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, eleven lines down from the top. Okay, but it goes quickly. So remember again, we left off in the middle of the story, in the middle of the story of the daughter of the Caesar and Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya. So remember again in this story, so the daughter of the Caesar says to Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya, how is it that someone so ugly is a repository for such an incredible amount of knowledge? So if you remember, again, we ended up, he gave her the mushal, he gave her the mushal, ultimately, again, of the earthenware vessels, which go ahead and contain the wine. So the Gemara says, So remember again, but she says back to him, but remember, there are good-looking people who are also wise. In other words, she said to him, what's the pshat? In other words, according to your logic, every wise person should be ugly. Right? So again, but there are good looking wise people. So what's the pshat? So this is incredible. Amrallah, you said back to her, you have a son, you have a today. You know what? If they were ugly, they'd be even smarter. Right? In other words, you want to say, so, and again, as we said in yesterday's daf, or Rabbi Yeshua, what Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanani was trying to highlight is that sometimes the person who doesn't have the good looks, by definition, that engenders a heightened sense of humility. And humility really is the key ingredient for life growth. Because when a person is humble, they recognize they have much to learn. When a person is humble, they recognize that they have much to accomplish. And that fuels a certain sense of growth. A person is not humble because they feel that they have certain things that make them great. By definition, it makes them, by, de- by definition, less receptive to growth and to self-actualization. Ha-hi. We'll say an interesting gemara. Ha-hi da'asila kamed rabi hudu min there was a woman who came before rabi hudu of Nardo. Ladina, she came before rabi hudu for adjudication of a case. This chayavas mindina, and she was found kabul. She was found. She was found liable. So Amrali Shmuel Rabba Hechidina. So she said to Rabbi Yehuda, "Tell me, how would Shmuel your Rabbi have passed in this case?" Amrali Yedatle. So Rabbi Yehuda said, "Did you know my Rabbi Shmuel?" Amrali, yeah, of course I know him. In Gutsa, he's short. The Rabba Kresay, he's fat. He's fat. Ucham, he's dark skinned. The Rabba Shine, and he has long teeth. This was a pretty disparaging description of Shmuel. Have you come here to embarrass my Rebbe? 
You should be, this woman, he's referring to a third person, this woman should be in excommunication. She burst and she died. So say so again. What's what's the moral of the story? Obviously, don't make fun of Shmuel. Right, that's number one. But I would say, but but the idea over here also is the idea over here also is like, you know, we have to have respect for Tamidi Chachamim. That the Tamid Chacham ultimately again is the ambassador of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. The Tamid Chacham represents a living embodiment of Torah, and he's, you have to be careful with the dignity of every single Jew. Allah has come and The dignity of a Tamid Chacham must be preserved. So the Gemara goes back there. Umutar bebeitzah tur mitos. Well, so back to the Mishnah for just a moment. So remember again, our Mishnah told us, our Mishnah told us that if a person goes ahead and no der hano der the lashon was konam tafshul shani toim. Right? If a person says, "All right, konam tafshil, I'm not going to taste the tafshil," so the Mishnah went through what he's not allowed to eat. Then the Mishnah spoke about what's not covered by that neder. So it's not covered by Tavshil. Beitza Tormita. Tor, tor, well, the Mishnah's Lashon is Tormuta. So what's a Beitza Tormuta? It's actually very interesting. Mutar Beitza Tormita. My Beitza Tormita. What is a Tormita egg? Amr Shmuel, listen to this. After the Avidah Shavi Alpha Dinari. So first of all, Shmuel says, by the way, an Ebed who can go ahead and make for you a Beitza Tormita, he's worth, he's worth a thousand, right? He's, he's worth a thousand dinari. In other words, that's a valuable Ebed. Oma'ayomei. So we'll say, so what, how, how do you go ahead and make a base? Let me listen to this. You go ahead and you have to boil it a thousand times in warm water. And then you go ahead and you soak it a thousand times in cold water. The idea is, after all of this, the egg becomes so small that you can go ahead and swallow it in one gulp. In other words, you don't even need to chew it. You can just swallow it. Now listen to this. What's the chap of it? So here's what's interesting. If a person is sick, what they would often do was they would swallow the beta tormita. Now then what would happen is whatever the illness was would attach itself to the beta. The kadnafka, then you would essentially regurgitate the egg. All of this is the egg whole. The kadnafka, the asya, yada asya my sama misbaile. So when the egg would come up, a doctor would examine the egg and he'd be able to see based on what was on the egg, what was ailing you. And based on that, he'd be able to go ahead and prescribe some type of medication. So, okay, good. So I'll say, that's the beitza tormita. See, interestingly enough, it's not a culinary dish. Right? Beitza tormita was more like a form of medicinal healing. It was a way, all to, I guess, you know what it is, I'll say, they were culturing the patient. In other words, it was a culture. So in other words, you swallowed it, whatever was going on inside of you would attach itself to the outside of the egg, right? You'd, you'd regurgitate it, and they would examine the egg after it came out of you, and based on that, they were able to prescribe medication. Quite fascinating. So Shmuel Habababadik Nafshei Bekolcha. Shmuel used to go ahead and, and check himself with Kulcha. So I'll say Rashi said, so the Ran actually says over here, look at the Ran, the Kulcha, it's, it's about uh, eight lines up from the end of the Ran, from the short lines. Lo yadati mahu. The Ran says, I don't know what Kulcha is. I know what Kulcha is. So apparently Kulcha must be something like Beitza Tormita. So the Ran says, because Shmuel didn't know how to make a Beitza, a Beitza Tormita, or didn't have someone to help him with this, he would check himself for illness with kulcha, but again, apparently the process itself made him more ill. 
Let's see, so it literally means, it literally means that the women in the house would pull out their hair. In other words, he would be so faint from this that they thought he was on the, on the threshold of death. So they literally would be pulling out their hair as a sign of mourning. Okay, so Shmuel would go ahead and check himself with this way, but apparently this way of checking himself compromised his health as well. Fine. So it's not awesome. So it's very interesting. Switching gears for just a moment. When a worker, when a worker is working with produce, the worker is permitted to go ahead and and eat from that produce. And I will say this doesn't mean like you're working in a supermarket. You can start eating from. It means if you're working in the field and you're harvesting produce, you're allowed to eat from the produce you're harvesting. But you're only permitted to eat from the exact type of produce that you are harvesting. So for example, again, the Mishnah says over here, if you are working with kolofsin, you can't eat with benos sheva. Now I will say, the Ran says over here, kolofsin is a type of date. So if you, it's very interesting. So if you're working with one type of date, you can't eat from the other type of date. Very interesting. So benos sheva, lo yochava kolofsin. My kolofsin, what's kolofsin? Mina deteini da'avdil minhun lapti. So kilufsin is the type of date from which people would eat lapti. What's lapti? Oh, so we're getting like a crash course on Talmud cooking over here. Second line from the bottom of the round, lapti, shem tafshil shel te'inim. This is a type of food that you would make from figs. Okay, so good. So the Gemara says as follows. So you can't, so, so for again, if you're working with one type of figs, can't eat the other type of figs. Ho gavra, yod avdolachavre, lagmore, alpha mine lapti. So listen to this, we'll say, there was a man who once gave over his servant, his worker, to his friend, because the friend was going to teach the servant a thousand ways to prepare lapti. If you're in the market for a cookbook, it's a good title, right? A thousand ways to prepare lapti. Right, so I'll say, so, so right, there were thousands, that, that was the contract. In other words, I'm giving over my servant to Ruvain. Ruvain, you're going to train my servant a thousand ways to make lapti. Admire timni mea. So what happened? Ruben only taught my Ruben only taught the servant eight hundred ways to prepare lapti. So the owner of the servant summoned Ruben to Din Torah. Right? I contracted you to teach my servant a thousand ways to make lapti. You only went ahead and taught him eight hundred ways to make lapti. So they came for Din. So I say they came before Rabbi. So I say, by the way, sometimes this happens. Like a, a, a case comes to a base din, or a Shiloh comes to a, a rav. And like, wow, I cannot believe this is actually happening. Right? So literally, we have a Din Torah. We have a Din Torah because, again, because someone only taught your servant 800 ways to prepare Lapti. As of right, he's 200 ways short of the contract. Right? So he only has 800 ways of preparing Lapti, not 1,000 ways. So I'll say, so Rebbe said, Rebbe, avasenu amru nashinu tova. So our fathers used to say, We've forgotten what luxury is. We don't even know where luxury starts. What he was saying was that this idea, this idea over here, that somehow a person needs a thousand ways to prepare a dish. Rebbe says like that level of luxury, that level of opulence, we, we, don't, we can't even relate to that. Because once upon a time, we're able to relate to that. Today, we can't relate to that. Also, another overlap. Another of essentially what is saying is, why does anyone need a thousand ways to prepare any particular dish? Okay, fine. So Rebbe Avid Lehi Lurab So it's a great story. Oh my gosh, listen to this. So Rebbe made a wedding. Made a wedding. Mazel made a chasana 
for his son, Reb Shimon. So, both say, so now, the part of the story that's missing over here, part of the story that's missing over here, that the Hagos Vitziyunim, on the bottom left-hand margin, adds in, is like this. What happened? So, so, Velo Azamne Lebar Kapara. He didn't invite Bar Kapara to the wedding. Didn't invite Bar Kapara. So, I was like, get, get ready for this. Get ready for this. So, what happened? Kasav Abes Kinana, Bar Kapara shows up, and he writes graffiti on the, on the wedding hall. Why do we ever learn these Gemaras in school? Yeah. Right? I would have paid so much more attention right, in, in Yeshiva. Had I learned, right? So Bar Kapara, Bar Kapara writes graffiti on the wedding hall. What does he write? Esrin Ba'arba Alfin Riba'in Dinarin Nafka Beskinana Dain Falazani Bar Kapara. Rebbe spent, I will say, it literally means 240 million dinarin on the wedding. Now, of course, that's, that, that can't be true. But what the graffiti essentially said is Rebbe, Rebbe spent, right, a whole truckload of money on the chasana. And he couldn't even invite Bar Kapara. And so I was like, this was, remember, Rebbe, right? Rebbe is the Nasi. So probably you can imagine, everyone's at the Chasana. Everyone's invited to the Chasana, right? Bar Kapara, Bar Kapara, excuse me, is excluded. And he's like, you spent all of this money on the Chasana and you didn't invite me. So we'll say, so what happened? So the Gemara says, so the, uh, again, the unwritten part of the story is then Rebbe invited Bar Kapara. And I was like, Lepashtos, why wasn't Bar Kapara invited to the Chasana? Why not? Why not? It was an oversight. It happens. See, I must say, more often than not, when people go ahead and quote-unquote wrong us, it's not because they have malicious intent. It's often because either they just weren't mindful of something, weren't paying attention to something, or overlooked something. That is, that nine out of ten times, it's really like that. People are good at their core. They do not need to be malicious or mean. Sometimes things happen that appear like they're malicious or mean. So Bar Kapara didn't have to start with the graffiti. He could have asked, but Lamaisa again, he gets invited. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, skip the part. But he said, you know what? If people who are in violation of Hashem's will are blessed with this level of wealth, Allah has come of a kama, those who are, those who follow Hashem's will. So he was calling Rebbe, Ovre Ritzono, right? He was calling Rebbe someone who, who doesn't listen to the word of Hashem. Since Rebbe, Rebbe was offensive, he didn't invite me, and yet he's so wealthy. If even people who don't follow the Ratzon Hashem enjoy such wealth in this world, Allah has come of a kama, people who do fulfill the will of Hashem, how much they'll be blessed. Azamneh. So, so Rebbe invited Bar Kapara, right? You could imagine, after the graffiti, after the speech, I was like, fine, just come, just come. It was a mistake, the invitation didn't get to you. Amar, then Bar Kapara changed his tune, and he said, So then Bar Kapara said, the truth is, so if people who fulfill the will of Hashem, so, so Rebbe, Rebbe made good, right? He did good, he went ahead and he invited me to the Chasana, so if those who fulfill the word of Hashem are so rewarded in this world, the reference to Rebbe's wealth, the reward that is waiting for them in Olam Haba. I will say, we're going to see, this is going to make a little bit more sense in a bit, when we see the nature of the relationship between Bar Kapara and Rebbe. Here we go. Yom Arvos, listen to this Kimara. Yom Rebbe, Paranusa Any day on which Rebbe smiled, which Rebbe smiled, so misfortune came to the world. Now, what, what, is, what does this mean? What does this mean? So, I say, so, so, Bipashtos, what it means over here is like this. That Rebbe, Rebbe was the Nasi, and as the Nasi, he was responsible for the welfare of Klav Yisrael. 
In a position such as that, one needs constant dedication and devotion. Right? That, that, that for Rebbe, Rebbe his entire life, and also we see this model, that sometimes there are people, and this is like the Moshe Rabbeinu model, that there are people whose, whose responsibility towards the Klal is so important that they, they cannot be focused on anything else. And Moshe Rabbeinu is an extreme example of that because Moshe Rabbeinu literally is focused on nothing else, including his own family. So okay, that, 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 that is the, that's the extreme. But then you have other people, again, who are also great leaders, for who the entire nation is dependent on, whose entire focus must be on Kavali. So Rebbe was such a leader. So the Gemara says that a day, that a day in which Rebbe smiled, in which Rebbe laughed, misfortune befell the world. And I will say, here's what's interesting about this Gemara. It could be literal, it could be literal, or it could also tell us about how Rebbe felt about his responsibilities. That Rebbe felt that essentially he had to always have his hands on the wheel. Right? There was, I don't know, what, else, what, what, is, what does it mean to laugh? I don't know, it doesn't mean like, like a, like a late sort of stick of laugh. What does it mean? Rebbe thought that, you know what? In my life, in my responsibility, there's no time for quote-unquote fun. Right? There's no time for a smile. There's no time for a moment of levity. There's no time for a moment of lightheartedness. For me, it's all serious, all the time, always engaged, always focused. Because his perception was that were he to kind of lighten up a little bit for even just a moment, he'd be slacking his responsibility. If I'm slacking my responsibility, something is going to go wrong. Something is going to go wrong. So watch this. So therefore he said, So he said to Bar Kapara, if you don't make me laugh, if you don't make me laugh, I will give you 40 measures of wheat. So apparently, again, Bar Kapara had the ability to make Rebbe laugh. So Rebbe made an agreement with him. Bar if you, and said, by the way, if you don't make me laugh, I'll pay you. I'll pay you not to make me laugh. Which I said, by the way, could also help maybe, maybe, the previous story, maybe Rebbe forgot to invite Bar or maybe he purposely didn't invite Bar Right? It could, it could very well be that that's what happened over here. So in any event, he tells Bar I'm going to pay you not to make me laugh. So Barakabar is listening. Rabbi, here's the deal. If I don't make you laugh, I'm taking any amount of wheat that I want. That's what Barakabar said, right? I'm renegotiating in terms of the deal. I won't make you laugh, but again, I get that Rabbi was incredibly wealthy. So Barakabar says, you're, you're good for more than 40, uh, for more than 40 measures of wheat. I'll take what I want. Fine. So what, what, what did Barakabar do? Shakal di Kulurabo. He took a large basket. He coated it with pitch. And he went ahead and he put it on his head. They're both saying, now what he did was, he, he went ahead and he inverted it. He turned it over and essentially he wore the basket as a hat. So, so what happened? So what happened? He went ahead and he put it on his head. He put it on his head. So I'm sorry. So he says, so he comes over to Rebbe and says, Rebbe, I've come to collect my 40 measures of wheat. What happened? Achok Rebbe. Rebbe laughed. Right? Why did Rebbe laugh? It's funny to see an adult now with a basket on his head. Right? I mean, come on. Like, you know, I'll say, there's not that much form of entertainment in Talmudic times. Right? So like, this is, like, imagine like, Talmudic times, Talmudic times are like Baltimore any given night. Right? In other words, there's absolutely nothing going on. Right? So, so you see a grown man, you see a grown man with a basket on his head, Right? You're like, wow, that's, that's kind of funny. Right? So, so Rabbi laughed. So Rabbi laughed. 
So what happened? So Amrlay, love is hardicha, the lotibadchin. So Rabbi said to him, didn't I tell you not to make me laugh? Not to make me laugh. So Rabbi said, saying, no wheat for you. So Bar so listen, you owe me wheat anyway. In other words, I'm here to collect the wheat anyway that I own, right? So the mice is coming out. They both say, so what's the pshat? What's happening over here? In other words, so why is Bar Kapara? Why is Bar Kapara going in and making Rebbe laugh? So they both say, I think what's happening over here in this exchange is Bar Kapara is telling Rebbe, Bar Kapara is telling Rebbe that at the end of the day, you can't live life with a constant intensity. Right? It's important in life to have those lighter moments. It's important in life to have that laugh. It's important in life to be able to go ahead and, and just for, for a little bit of time to have that smile. If you don't, if you don't, then by definition, it fundamentally just erodes a sense of joy in life. There's also Barakapara. Barakapara knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing when he puts his basket on his head, right? He's intentionally acting in this way in order to go ahead and bring Rebbe to, to, to a, a, a certain state of normalcy. I will say, right, all of us have people in our lives when we're getting a little bit too intense who are there just to kind of bring us back a little bit, right? And center us in just being good and normal, happy, healthy people. That's what Barakapara was trying to do for Rebbe. I will say an incredible, an incredible muster. There has to be a healthy, healthy balance between incredible intensity, but also an ability to go ahead and laugh a little bit during life as well. Amrli Bar Kapara the Bar Tehidu Rebbe. So we'll say, this also, so you, have to, you have to untake this understanding, otherwise the stories become a little bit strange. So listen to this. So Bar Kapara said to the daughter of Rebbe, Lemachar shasina chamra berikuda da'avuch ubekirkani de'imech. So Bar Kapara said to the daughter of Rebbe, who is getting married tomorrow, he said to her, tomorrow at your chasana, I'm going to be drinking wine while your father dances and your mother sings. Okay, so a little bit of a strange statement, right? Now, by the way, we're going to see again, Bar once again was just trying to put a smile on people's face because obviously, so remember again, Rebbe's wife is not going to be singing in front of Bar So let's see the story. So we'll say, watch this. Okay, pause for just a moment. Ben Alasha, Chasnei de Rebbe Haba. So we'll say Ben, Al- ben Alasha, that was his name. Ben Alasha was the son-in-law of Rebbe. And we'll say, we're going to see in general, whenever you see people where the Gemara doesn't give their first name, it just says this person was not right? Ben Alasha means what? The son of Alasha. What was his first name? Right? What's his first name? So we'll say, in general, whenever you see people who are identified that way, often that means that they kind of lived in the shadow of their father. They had a great father. They had a great father. And so that was kind of, the, you know, I will say, there are some people who their primary identity in life is, I'm the son of so-and-so, right? And, and again, they, they might establish a great identity as well, but their, their personal identity is eclipsed by the identity of their father. Ben Alasha was one of those people, not because of Torah, because of wealth. Ben Alasha came from a very, very, very wealthy family, as you're going to see in just a moment. He didn't generate the wealth. The wealth came from his father. So he was always known as, you know, the son who inherited the wealth. He was a great man in, in, his, in his own right, but he was known as Ben Alasha, Chazne Rebbe, he was Rebbe's son-in-law, Vashir Gadol, he was very wealthy, Shimon So he's at the Chasana. I will say, by the way, this is the previous Chasana. He's at the Chasana of the son of Rebbe Shimon Berebi, right? At the son, ultimately, again, so this is a previous Chasana. So Rebbe's marrying off his son. So again, so now Ben Alasha is at the Chasana of his brother-in-law, of his brother-in-law. So we'll say, now watch this. So now Ben Alasha is sitting there. Bar Kapar, remember again, Bar Kapar graffitied, right? Then he got invited. 
So the Maya said, now he's at the Chasana. So many Barkapar the Rebbe. My toy. So we'll say, so now they're at the Chasana. Listen to this. So Barkapar says to Rebbe, Rebbe, what is the definition of Toeva? Everyone say, what's the context? If a man has relations with another man, so the Torah calls that act, that relationship, a Toeva. A Toeva. But we'll say, how do we normally go ahead and translate Toeva? Abomination. Okay. So we'll say, that's just an English definition. What Kabar Kapar is asking Rebbe is, what is the etymology of the word? It's an interesting chasana talk, right? But Lamaisa, right? Right? So, what, what, what is the definition of to'eva? My to'eva, Amrlei. So, I'm sorry. So, called the Amrlei Rebbe, the Hachin Hu, to'eva, parchin bar kapara. Any explanation that Rebbe advanced, bar kapara refuted. So, Amrlei, par she'ah. So, we'll say, so Rebbe said, fine, bar kapara, tell me, what's the definition? We'll say, get ready for this. Amrlei, tisi divischi timili natla. So here's what Barakabara says. Here's the deal. I'll give you the definition, but you have to ask your wife to pour me a cup of wine. Or is that like a cup of wine? I'd like a cup. So ask him to pour me a cup of wine. Va'asis ram yale. Va'asis ram Sorry, va'asis ram So she came. Right? Rebbe's wife came, poured Barakabara a cup of wine. I'm really the Rebbe. Kum rekodli. Okay, Rebbe, now I want you to dance for me. Right? Do a little jig. Right? Do a little chasana dance. Right? So we'll say, so again, so Barakabara is saying, so I want, I want a cup of wine. Have you had pour me a cup of wine? Now that he has a cup of wine. Rabbi, if you want the answer, I want you to do a little dance for me. De'emar l'cha. So, de'emar l'cha. So, and I'll tell you. And I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So we'll say, so by the way, what is going on over here? So once again, if you understand the narrative of the relationship between Barakapar and Rabbi, is that Barakapar was the guy who felt that it was his job to put a smile on Rabbi's face. Right? And Rebbe felt he does not have the luxury of smiling. He doesn't have the luxury of laughing because his responsibility is so intense and overwhelming that he has to maintain a constant sense of intensity. And Barakapara says, that's not healthy. Barakapara is the one who says, no, Rebbe, there has to be the lighter moments of life because otherwise, otherwise you just get swallowed up by the enormity and the heaviness of life. So it makes sense then what Barakapara is doing. So he says to Rebbe, what is it? Amrachmana. Amrachmana to'iva. Toeh ata ba. This is so fascinating. He says toeva doesn't mean abomination, but rather toeva is a contraction. Toeh ata ba. You're making a mistake. Bose, take a look at the rhyme for just a moment. The rhyme in the short lines, in the, in the, in the thinner lines, is four lines in. Toeh ata ba. Shemaniach mishkave isha. Baholech eitzel zachar. You're going ahead and leaving a woman and instead going to a man. So both say, by the way, it's so fascinating. So toeva, we always translate as such a sharp word, calling something an abomination. Instead, what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying to the person who engages in these practices? You're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. So say, by the way, it's such a soft relation. It's so fascinating. And I will say, I just want to point out, you know, again, things like this, just we're honest, like, we struggle with this because certainly in society, again, so now all types of relationships are, are acceptable. And the truth is, again, we recognize, especially in the firm world, that a person struggles, a person struggles with who they're attracted to is a legitimate struggle. 
It's a, it's a struggle that a Kaddish Baruch Hu implanted in a person, right? Often, a person often doesn't choose to be a certain way, so a person struggles with this. So again, Torah is Torah, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu tells us certain relationships are permitted, other relationships are prohibited. We don't have the ability to change Torah, we don't have the ability to change the definition of marriage, no matter what laws are passed, right? In other words, we, right, halach is halacha, halach is immutable, and our standards are our standards. That being said, that being said, there always has to be a sensitivity towards every person, towards every single person, no matter what they're, no, no matter no matter who they are, what they are, or what they struggle. But it's just it's, it's also interesting how a word that often we translate as abomination, which is such a strong word, how could this Bible translate as it's a mistake? you're mistaken in what you're doing. It's just I'm just pointing out how even how this Bible sometimes models for us a softer approach in dealing with certain things. Just a fascinating idea. Okay, Toa Atebo. Lekasa, so I'll say, watch this. Lekasa Akhmida. Barakar then wanted a second cup of wine. He wanted a second glass of wine. So what did he say? A second glass of wine. Amalei, my tevel. So he says to Barakar what's tevel? And I will say, it's interesting. Why he's choosing these things, I don't know. Tevel, I will say, again, is the Pasek is, Bechol behemalos itin shechav techalatama ba, v'yishlo samu lifnei behemal riva tevelhu. A woman should not engage in bestiality. And if she engages in bestiality, it's a tevel. It's a tevel. So it says, Barakapara, Rebbe, you know what a tevel is? So, So what happens? So again, what happens? So once again, the same thing happened. Rebbe started advancing explanations. Barakapara started, refuted each of them. So Barakapara said, you want to know the answer? Rebbe says, yes. So Rebbe says, fine, tell your wife to pour me a glass of wine. Pours her a glass of wine. Rebbe, do a little dance. And then what happens? So he says, Tavel. So listen to this. So what does Tavel mean? Tavlin yeshbal. Is there any spice? Is there any flavor in it? So essentially what the Torah is saying is to the woman, how is there any pleasure from an act of bestiality? Tavel is tavlin, a spice, or a spice, a flavor. Is there any level of flavor in this? Is right. In other words, sometimes we're both saying a person commits an Avera. Okay, why do I commit an Avera? It's pleasurable. So the truth is, the commission of the Avera is totally understandable. I'm getting some level of pleasure from this Avera. But then there are other Averas where it's like, what? what? Is, is, is this worth it? So that's what Tevel means. Tevel means there's not even any spice in it. There's not even any pleasure. There's not even any taste in it. There's no pleasure in it. Why are you doing it? So the Gemara says, Out of all of the illicit things you could engage in, why this one? When a person engages in immorality, it's understandable. It's understandable because immorality could often be exceptionally pleasurable. But then there are some other forms of immorality that just are like, why? Why? What, what, is it, what pleasure is it that you're deriving from this? That's Tevel. Amrlei, umay zima. So again, Barakapara says, by the way, what's the definition of zima? Amrlei, i'ovid ki inyana kadma. So same thing. Again, you want to know the definition. Tell you have to bring, come, bring me a cup of wine. Bring him a cup of wine. Rebbe, do a little dance. And then what happens? Amrlei, zumahi. I will say, this is incredible. What's zima? So zima, I will say, we translate often as immorality. But again, Barakapara says it means, what is this one? A reference to the fact that a woman who is promiscuous, often what happens? We don't know who the father of her child is. So Zima means Zu, this child, Mahi. Who is his father? What, what is he? What is he? Incredible. So, so we'll say, so all this is happening. Who's standing there watching this whole thing? Rebbe's son-in-law, Ben Alasha. So Lo Yachel Ben Alasha Le Misbal. 
But Elisha could not, he, he thought that Barkapara was just degrading Rebbe. He could not take it. He could not take it. Now, both sides, Barkapara was a major tamcha, a major sage. So apparently, Ben Elisha was not going to go ahead and confront Barkapara. So what does he do? Come, Vinafik, who is Numitaman. So I will say, so what happens? So Barkapara leads the Chasana. Please, right? Barkapara, I'm sorry, Ben Elisha, together with his wife, leave the Chasana. So we'll say, by the way, isn't it also interesting? Every family has its dynamics, right? So here again, so the son-in-law, right? The son-in-law, together with his wife, who is the sister of the chassan, go ahead and leave the chassan. He left the wedding early. Ben Elisha was just so upset that he felt his father-in-law's dignity was being trampled upon. He couldn't watch anymore. My Ben Elisha, by the way, who is Ben Elisha? The sanyo, lo lechinam pizer Ben Elisha esma'osav. So we'll say, Ben Elisha, as we said before himself, he didn't make the money, it was his father's money. But again, to his credit, to his credit, he did not spend frivolously, right? Sometimes people are wealthy, and especially when they didn't earn the money, they're very quick to spend it. That wasn't Ben Elisha. He was very careful with how he spent his money. The only thing he spent his money on was a haircut. Listen to this. The one thing Ben Elisha spent money on was getting a special haircut. He wanted to show people with his own haircut what the haircut of the coin Godel was. was an incredible. The coin Godel used to get a haircut. Remember again, there are different halachas. The, the coin, coin Godel had to get his haircut every once in a while, pretty frequently actually, in order to go ahead and keep up a chemtix, uh, um Appearance, thank you. Appearance. So he got a haircut like a Lulanis. What was my Lulanis? I'm Rabbi Huda. Tisporid Yechidas. Hechidami. What's the What's the haircut? I'm Rabbi Rosho Shalzeh. Bitzadi Karo Shalzeh. I will say each hair would line up, right? Literally, again, the tip of one hair would go ahead and reach the root of the other hair. It was what was a perfectly manicured haircut. But I knew Tispor Shalkoinada. So I will say, so the Gemara says in general, Ben Alasha was very careful with his spending. The only thing he splurged on was his haircut. And the only reason he splurged on his haircut was because he wanted to show people what the haircut of the coin Godel looked like. So he modeled it with his own hair. Incredible. We'll be the last five So we'll say, going back to the Mishnah. If a person says, I'm not going to eat konam minatavshil, right? Konam tavshil I'm not going to eat tavshil. So one of the things that you're allowed to eat is the last haramutza. One thing that's not covered by the nether is the last haramutza. Says the Gemara, my the last haramutza. What is the last haramutza? Amr Shmuel, kra karkuzoi. It's a karkuzoi kra. Now, what's it? This means a gourd from karkuzoi. It's a, from a place. From a place. Ravashi, no, no, the last haramutza. Ravashi says, no, 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 it refers to a gourd that is cooked by essentially burying it in coal. So, what's that? So, the machlok is here between Shmuel and Ravashi. Shmuel says the last haramutsa is a specific type of gourd from a particular type of place. Ravashi says, no, it's a gourd which is prepared in a certain way. Says Mar Israel Ravashi, Sravina brought a kasha and Ravashi, Rabbi Nechemi Omar Dalas Aramishi, Dalas Aramishi, Dalas Hamitris. So the Aramean Dalas is the same thing as the Egyptian Dalas, Kilayim im Hayivonis. It's ultimately considered to be a forbidden mixture together with the Greek Dalas. So, so the Gemara says, imara And that's all considered to be Kilayim. What's the Kilayim? These two things you can't mix together with Dalas Ramutza. So, we'll say, what do you see from here? You see from here from the fact that Dalas Haramutza is in a conversation about Kilayim, means that what? 
Tilas Haramutza doesn't refer to a gourd prepared in a certain way. Rather, what does it refer to? A specific species of gourd. And therefore, Yisrael said that Allah Lamaisa Shmuel is correct, Ravashi is incorrect. Tiyufta, this indeed refutes the view of Ravashi. Good. Mishnah. Hanoda Mimais Kedera. It was a very interesting case. Same, continuing on our, on, our same, on our same conversation. I make a nether that I'm not going to get benefit from Maise Kedera. Now, both say, how do we normally translate Maise Kedera? So anything made in a pot. But remember again, or made, anything made right in a Kedera. So we'll say, man, remember again, what we've seen is when it comes to Nadarim, how do you define a nether? Benadarim halcha achar lasha mene adam. A nether is always defined, as always defined, by, by the way people speak. How the people speak? So therefore, I know there's Maise Kedera. They will say you are only assert from things which are boiled or really boiled excessively, as we'll see. Amar, again, we'll define what that means. So Amar Konam, Amar Konam, Hayor If a person says, Konam, right, I'm not going to eat anything that goes into the pot. In that case, I'm on anything that is made in a pot. So we'll say, see, see over here, if you see konam mi maisekidera, maisekidera daft refers to those things which are, which are boiled excessively. On the flip side, if I say, I won't eat konam hayoreid likidera, I won't eat anything that goes into the pot. Ultimately, again, that includes everything or anything that is prepared inside of a pot. Incredible. So Tanya, Hanoder, mean Hayori, the Kedera, if a person makes a nether, then I'm not going to eat that which goes down into the pot. Asr, Biyori, the Ilfus. You're not allowed to eat that which is prepared. I will say Ilfus is a griddle or a frying pan. Shekvar, Yori, the Kedera, Kedera, the Ilfus. I will say, so often, the way they used to go out and prepare things on a griddle or a frying pan was often, first, you would, you would boil it, Right, you cook in a kedera, and then you would go ahead and fry it or griddle it. I don't know if that's a verb, right? Fry it or griddle it. So therefore, I will say, if you make a neder, then I'm not going to eat that which is yard into the kedera. That includes ultimately again asvir the elfis. Shekvayar the kedera, kodem shiar the elfis. Mayar the elfis. On the other end, if you make a neder, ultimately again for the elfis, mutibir the kedera. Ultimately again, you could eat that which goes into the kedera. Minasem kedera. Mutter, mutter, I'm sorry, minasev kedera, mutter, binasev elfis, minasev elfis, mutter, binasev kedera. Good, it's fine. Hanodim and the tanner. Supposed to what happens if a person makes a neder that I'm not going to eat that which goes into the oven? Ain asr elabepas. You're only asr to eat bread. To eat bread. So we'll say that. In other words, the lashon of yoreid the tanner, that which goes into the tanner, that only asr's bread. Vim amar kol meisat tanner alai. But if a person says anything made in an oven is asr upon me. Ultimately, again, I can't eat anything made in an oven. Good. Amud base. We're going to say, here we go. Minah kabush. What happens if a person makes a nether? I'm not going to eat anything. I'm going to say, now, kabush, I'm say, means literally pickled or preserved. Pickled or preserved. So I make a nether. I'm not going to eat kabush. I'm going to say, you're only asking to eat pickled vegetables. What's the logic over here? What's the logic? So again, I will say once again, by Nidarim, we go after the way people speak. So generally, when people speak about pickled items, if they don't qualify their terms, what are they referring to? What are they referring to? Pickled vegetables. And if if you say, I make a nether not to eat from the kavush, ultimately, again, I can't eat from pickled vegetables. Kavush sha'ani toe. But if I say, I make a nether, I'm not going to taste anything pickled. Then asr bechalakvushim. Ultimately, again, I'm asr in all pickled items. Minash shalok. 
if I make a neder, ultimately again not to eat. Now, also, we've seen this term before. Shaluk ultimately refers to undercooked items, right? If I make a neder not to eat undercooked items, eno aser elamina shaluk shal baser. So we'll say in general, again, the term shaluk. So we'll say what you begin to see is this distinction between just kind of name kavush shaluk versus you know versus the lashon of kavush shani toeim anything I taste. So I taste, by definition, is a more expansive category versus just naming the item is more limiting. So again, let me go back for just a second. So if I say kavosh, I, I take an identity kavosh, that refers to pickled vegetables. I say, I'm not going, right? I'm not going to taste anything that is kavosh. That applies to what? All pickled items. I say, I'm not going to eat shaluk. What does that refer to? Undercooked meat. I say, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to taste anything that is shaluk. That applies to anything that is undercooked. Incredible. Says the Gemara. So here's the interesting question. What happens if you change up the wording a little bit? So instead of saying, right? Or instead of saying, you say, I go and I take an edger, I will not eat anything that is pickled, right? Or that is undercooked, or that is roasted, or that is salted. So my heichel mashma. So I say, so how do we understand that? In other words, what, what would that be coming, what would that be coming to include? To which the Gemara says, Tiboy, take him. Not sure about that. Not sure about that. So I will say this, this type of more specific lotion of dikavish, dimaliach, dishalik. What does that answer if you use that for another? Tibai. I also remember again in Mesafas Nadarim, we don't use the Lashon of Tegu. Instead, we just use Lashon of Tibai. So the Gemara uses as an open ended question. Incredible. Mishnah. Minatsli. So what says, now what happens if a person says, I take a Nadar, then I'm not eating from Tsli. Tsli means roasted. So Rabbi Huda says, What do you ask for? Roasted meat. Again, because when you just say minatsli from sli, so the way people speak is they use that expression in reference to what? In reference to meat. Reference to meat. Therefore, again, remember, by Nidarim, we go after Lashun bin Adam. So if you say I'm not going to eat from sli, again, that will refer to the sli of Bas, the Rebuda. Sli shani toy. What happens if a person says, I take a nether of tasting any kind of sli? Asubachalatsiluyim. Ultimately, again, he is usher to eat any item that is roasted. Min hamaliyah, let's say a person says from that which is salted, right, from, or from the salted item, in usher ela min hamaliyah shal dag. You're only usher, we'll say, to eat ultimately salted fish. Maliyah shal dag. So we'll say, see, just you see the pattern? When you go ahead and you say hamaliyah, right, whenever you add in the hay, right, I'm not permitted to eat the pickled item, the roasted item, the salted item, that limits you to what people normally say is, what are people referring to? When they talk about, for example, when a person says, I'm not going to eat the roast, so what do people call the roasted item? So what do they refer to when they say the roasted item? What is the default? Meat. If you use a more expansive lotion of tzli, I'm not going to eat, not the roasted item, but I'm not going to eat roasted items. Roasted items refers to everything. I say I'm not going to eat the salted item. That refers to fish. Person says, I'm not eating salted items. Then he can't eat anything salted. Dag, dogim shani toy. So I will say, what happens if a person says, right, I'm not going to eat fish, fish or fish, right, dog or dog shani toy. 
Asr b'chol b'chol asr b'asr b'hen ben gedolim ben ketanim ben baluchim ben tefilim ben chayim ben mevushalim. So we'll say so again. A person makes a neder. I'm not going to eat dog or dogim. So he's asr pretty much in everything: big fish, little fish, salted fish, unsalted fish, right? Live fish, or I should say, raw fish, raw fish, cooked fish. However, so we'll say so again. You just make a lashon of dog dogim. That's all encompassing. What are you permitted to eat? Umutar bitaris trufa ubitsir. So we'll say if you take a look at the ran, if you take a look at the ran, four lines up, five lines up from before the ran gets wide. Umutar bitaris trufa bitsir umemoria. So we'll say what are you permitted to eat? So you taris trufa. What taris trufa is dag gadol taruf dak dak minced fish. So taris trufa is a fish dish that would be made. You take a big fish, you chop it up into smaller pieces. So you're allowed to taris trufa. Because why the one limitation is if you limit yourself, you make an edda from fish, fish has a connotation of a whole fish. Taris trufa, by definition, is minced fish, cut up fish. And therefore, again, it is not problematic. And therefore, again, I'll say similarly again, sear shell dogging means fish brine. That I'm, that I'm allowed to eat, that I'm allowed to eat, and murios. We'll say murios, remember again, was a dish that was made from fish kishkas together with flour, that also is one. So the idea over here is dog dogim means, dog dogim means a whole fish. So that includes again, whole fish, big fish, little fish, salted fish, raw fish, cooked fish, whatever it is, but it doesn't include any dish made with minced fish or cut up fish. Hanod, I mean that's sachno. What happens if a person says, I'm not going to eat sachno? Ultimately, again, the Mishnah says, You're not allowed to eat. Not allowed to eat uh, taris trufa, which is the minced fish, but you can eat fish brine and the morias dish. I'm say, take a look at the ran again. I know the minat sachna. So ultimately, again, sachna is dogim kitanim harbi maluchim. So sachna, I'm say, is a lot of small fish that ultimately, again, were prepared in salt. So if you go and you make an edder and not eat sachna, you're not allowed to eat small fish, but you can eat these other items. Hanodim taris trufa. I will say if a person says, I take an edder and not eat taris trufa, which is minced fish, asr bitsir obemorias. Not only can you not eat taris trufa, but you also can't eat what? Fish brine, as well as the morias dish as well. All right, I will say shkoyach. Good, we made good ground today. Great, great, great job. So I will say we'll stop here for today. Merit to see you tomorrow. Shkoyach.